Well, good morning, City Light. How are you guys this morning? I like that. Uh, if you uh, missed it, that one verse was the whole scripture passage that we're going to look at today, Proverbs 14. I'm glad you're here. I'm excited to jump into Proverbs this morning. It is one of my favorite Proverbs in the whole book. If you don't know, Proverbs is a, a fairly short book, 31 chapters, I think, in the book of, or in the Old Testament, and it's just full of practical wisdom for everyday life. Practical wisdom for real life. So we're going to jump into Proverbs today, but before we get into that, I wanted to start with a story. When I was about 12 years old, I got to go with my grandpa on a fishing trip. He owned a lodge. I think it was somewhere on the border between North and South Dakota. He had a truck and a boat. He had all kinds of rods and reels. He had line and hooks. He had jigs and spinners and all kinds of tackle. I still don't know what it's for or what it does, but he had a lot of it. And in my mind, he was the epitome of a fisherman, and I was excited to go. So he loaded me up uh, with my twin brother and one of my uncles into his truck with his boat behind, and as we set out, we stopped at a grocery store. And he said, there's no stores around the lodge, so we're gonna get food for breakfasts, we're gonna get food for light lunches um, on the boat, but we're not getting anything for supper because when we're at the lodge, for supper, you only eat what you catch. And I thought, that sounds awesome. I'm going to be a man. I'm going to eat what I catch and nothing else. And I just had these visions of catching huge fish after huge fish and eating like a king, you know. And all that kind of changed when I got to the lodge and got out on the boat because I didn't realize when I dreamed of eating fish after fish like a seal at the zoo, I didn't realize what it takes to get a fish from the lake to the plate. Do you know what's involved here? First, I had to drive a hook through a living worm, and that wasn't that big of a deal, but I felt for the worm as I got its slime and guts on my fingers. And then you take that worm and you cast it out into the water, and the hook that you just drove through the worm, a fish actually swallows that. That's how you catch it. And so when I got the fish in, I realized to not eat the hook, you have to get it out of there. And so I had to hold a slimy, flopping fish still and take pliers and drive it down the fish's throat, grab that hook and pry it out, right? I can still remember like the popping and tearing sounds it made. I didn't realize what a city kid I was until I got on that boat, you know? And then the worst part came when we got back to shore and my grandpa said, hey, Eric, you got to take all those fish that we just caught and you got to clean them. And so I walked up to this table, and he hands me a big knife, and he says, Eric, you don't want to eat either end, so cut those off. My eyes got kind of big, but I got it done. And then he said, you don't want to eat the scales either, so you got to tear those off, which I did. And he said, now there's bones in the middle, and you don't want to eat those either, so you got to cut the fillets right off those bones. I got that done, and I realized then that cleaning a fish got me really dirty. You know, I thought, I'm going to be eating like a king, but to get the fish from the lake to the plate, I felt a whole lot more like a coroner, if you know what I'm saying. Uh, the whole process, it just tried to kill any appetite I had for supper. 
I realized getting a fish from the lake to the plate, it's messy. It just doesn't happen without getting some of the guts and slime from the worms, some of the scales and slime from the fish on you. It's messy. To get the meal, you have to get through the mess. Now, I didn't really like the mess, but I loved the meal. See, the uh, meal at the lodge was awesome. It was uh, my grandpa knew his way around a skillet, and it wasn't like Hy-Vee fish sticks and tartar sauce. I'm talking fresh-caught, cold-water walleye cooked to perfection. The, the mess was real, but the dinner was amazing, and I'd say it this way, the dinner was worth the disgust. Have you ever been there? You know what I'm talking about. The dinner was worth the disgust. I think that's the idea in Proverbs chapter 14, verse 4. As we read it, as we jump in, we got to move from the, uh, the lodge at the lake onto a farm. This should be familiar territory for most of us. Imagine that you are on the farm, and on your farm, you've got mangers. Most of the time when we say that word, we're thinking Christmas time and the baby wrapped in swaddling clothes. But it appears here in Proverbs 2. A manger was the feeding trough that your animals would eat from, the stall where they would sleep. And in our day, we would call a collection of mangers a barn. All right? So you're on a farm, you own this farm, and you've got a barn there, and it's a nice barn. You've invested in it, you spend time there, and so you're proud of it. So you've got a barn, and you've got land, and it's good land, where if you scatter seeds, those seeds will grow into a harvest. So you're with me. We're farmers, we've got a barn, we've got land, it's good land, and as farmers, we read Proverbs 14.4. It starts like this. Where there are no oxen, the manger is clean. Where there are no oxen, the manger is clean. If you only read the first line, doesn't a clean barn sound good? Like you've invested in this barn. It is your property and you're proud of it. You spend a lot of time there. And if it gets messy, it takes a lot of work to clean it up again. There's a lot of space there, a lot of things. And if you get the wrong mess in the wrong place, it might even destroy parts of your barn. And so keeping it clean protects the investment. Keeping it clean makes it a nice place to be. So how do we keep our barn clean? Well, Proverbs says where there are no oxen, the manger is clean. So we got to get rid of those stinky, sweaty oxen they're the ones that make the mess they work and sweat they breathe and snot they eat and poop they are the messy ones to keep the barn clean we got to get rid of them they're gross they make the barn gross get them out right they're the problem where there are no oxen the manger is clean if we only read the first lines we might believe that the oxen aren't worth the odor Messes and mess makers are stressful. Clean is peaceful. So we avoid the mess, we get rid of the mess makers, and that becomes the goal. Now, I think the temptation to keep the barn clean happens not just on the farm. Are you tracking with me? The temptation to keep the barn clean 
clean, to keep the manger clean, to keep our lives clean, to make a clean life our goal, that temptation extends beyond the farm. Have you ever felt it? A while back, I was on Facebook, and I saw a picture like this. Do we have the picture? Yeah, there we go. All right. The one I saw said, Mom's Pick 2. This one says everybody just picked two. Uh, Mom's Pick 2, but there are three options. And so it, looks some, it goes something like this. If you want a clean house and some sanity in your life, you're going to be after your kids all the time, right? All the time. If you want a clean house with happy kids, you may lose your sanity trying to get both to happen. And if you want happy kids without going crazy, your house is probably never going to be in the shape that you want it to be. It's just there's three things you want. You can't get them all, but the goal of life is we want it clean. We want it all. You kind of lose your mind trying to get there. The struggle is real. I don't think it's just for farmers and their barns or moms at home. I think it's for more of us. For some, we feel every time we clock in at work. Does work ever feel like a mess? Think, man, my life would be cleaner if I just had a better job or better coworkers or a better boss. Man, my life would be cleaner if I could just clean things up at work. For some of us, it's not when you clock in at work, it's when you clock out and get home that life feels like a mess. Does your marriage ever feel like a mess? Your relationship, it, maybe you scroll through your phone, it looks like everybody else has just a peaceful, spotless relationship, but yours feels so messed up that you've almost lost all hope. You begin to wonder, and maybe it would be cleaner if we just what happens when a clean life becomes the goal when we give in to that temptation the mess and the mess makers become the enemy they become the problem so what do we do do we just get rid of our kids and quit our jobs and end our marriages <laughs> that is not good advice from a pastor on a sunday morning okay that's not where i'm going not wise proverbs practical wisdom for everyday life it's a good thing there's more to proverbs 14 than just the first line. Proverbs 14, 4 has two lines, and they contrast to make a point. Let's read them both together. Here's what they say. Where there are no oxen, the manger is clean, but abundant crops come by the strength of the ox. Where there are no oxen, sure, the manger is clean, but a clean manger was never the goal. Abundant crops come by the strength of those dirty, smelly, stinky oxen. If you get rid of them, the manger may be clean, the barn may be clean, but they'll be clean and empty. And if you got a clean and empty barn, clean and empty mangers, then guess what else is clean and empty? The storehouse and the corn crib and the grain bin. See, a clean barn was never meant to be the goal. The purpose of a farm isn't to have the cleanest barn on the block. The purpose of a farm is to have a crop, a yield, a harvest. The barn isn't supposed to be a clean place. It's supposed to be a full 
place. Abundance is better than emptiness. The place, the barn is supposed to be a place filled with the harvest that the oxen work for. Let me tell you, the oxen in these days, Bible times was an incredible animal. They oftentimes farmers would actually ride their oxen with their tools out into the field. So the ox was the first farm truck. An ox would pull the plow through the field. And so the ox was the first farm tractor. The oxen would stomp out the grain once it had been brought in. And so it was the first combine. The ox was an amazing animal. And having oxen with great strength meant you got a great harvest. Their dirt and sweat and snot and poop may make the barn a disaster, but farmers knew the harvest was worth That's what I learned eating supper at my grandpa's lodge. Dinner is worth the disgust. The harvest is worth the mess. The harvest is worth the headache. The yield is worth the yuck. The crops are worth the crap. If I can say that in church, I don't know. You guys can talk to me afterwards. Uh... The harvest is worth the mess. That's what Proverbs is telling us. And I love this proverb because it reminds me the harvest isn't just worth the mess on the farm. The harvest is worth the mess in our real lives, in our daily lives. If the mess is worth, if the mess is required for the harvest, then the goal isn't to keep our eyes on. If the mess is required for the harvest, then our goal isn't to keep our eyes on the barn, it's to keep our eyes on the harvest. When we get worried about the mess, often we're looking at the wrong things. When we keep our eyes on the field, we realize that the mess messes in life doesn't mean we're messed up. It's just part of the deal to get to the harvest. The mess makers aren't my enemy. They're my partners. Proverbs 14.4 is a perspective changer. Let me walk you through a couple examples. Parents. If the goal of parenting isn't having an immaculate house, but instead It's raising a harvest of kids who know and love Jesus. That changes perspective, doesn't it? The messes your kids make, they're part of the deal. They're not deal breakers. Look at another passage in Proverbs. Uh, Chapter 19, verse 18 says this. Discipline your son, for there is hope. Do not set your heart on putting him to death. (laughs) I love how Proverbs, it just goes to your worst day and talks to you right there, right? Uh, Don't set your heart on putting him to death. There's hope. That's, I think, a sort of extreme way to say your kids aren't the enemy. The mess makers aren't the enemy. So don't wish away the messy childhood years. Don't wish away the messes in your family. Don't wish away the messes in their hearts. And the messes they make. They may create all of the messes that you have to deal with and clean up day in and day out, but they are also the prize that's worth all the effort. Parents, the harvest is worth the mess. Amen? Employees. Another example. 
If the purpose of having a job isn't easy days and stress-free environments, but instead it's to provide for yourself and those in your care in a way that honors and reflects the God who provides for you, that changes perspective, right? Your job might feel like cleaning up poop all day, but having a paycheck and a place to sleep and food to eat, that's worth it. Providing for yourself and those in your care in a way that honors Jesus may feel like a mess sometimes, but the harvest is worth the mess. We endure like Jesus endured. Um, spouses. If the purpose of a marriage isn't to have an enviable Instagram feed, but rather to day by day become one, like Christ and his church are one, that changes perspective, doesn't it? You certainly celebrate all those Kodak moments that come, but you also engage in the mess. You strive to forgive when you hurt each other. Husbands, that looks like lovingly sacrificing when your wife needs you. Self-sacrifice when your wife needs you. Wives, that looks like continuing to respect your husband even when he messes up, even when he doesn't lead well, even when he does things wrong, you continue to respect him so that day by day you become one, just like Jesus and his church are one. Engaging in the mess brings a harvest of intimacy and points to this redemptive, faithful love that Jesus has for his bride. The harvest is worth the mess. Amen? So we just believe because Proverbs tells us that the harvest is worth the mess. It's practical wisdom for real life. I think it's practical wisdom for church life, too. So if we shift from our own lives day to day and we look at how does our church, this body of believers, the New Testament word for church literally means an assembly. So it's all of us together. What does it look like to believe the harvest is worth the mess for us? together. Um, this proverb has encouraged me as I've prayed for this church and our City Light Church family at large. I want to tell you how. Uh, if I can be honest with you, play all of my cards. Sometimes I feel like we've just gotten ourselves into a big mess. <laughs> if I can just be truthful. Uh, we're trusting God to build his church in Emerson, Iowa. That's reality. I want to say it again because we actually believe this. We're trusting God to build his church right here in Emerson, Iowa. And I want to be honest with you, if you look at rural church statistics, that's a bad idea. Churches in rural areas, by and large, are shrinking. By and large, more close their doors than new churches open their doors every month, every Weak. This is a trend. On the whole, the church is losing ground in rural areas, yet we are trusting God to build His church right here. You guys are sitting in these chairs, and I'm standing up here. This is unusual. We're trying to buck a nationwide trend right here doing what we're doing. This is crazy. This is messy. Yeah. You guys are abnormal, and I love it, okay? 
This is messy, and if it feels messy, it's because it is messy, folks. And Proverbs says the harvest is worth the mess. So let me tell you why we're in this. We've got a, we've got a passion here to reach lost people. People who don't know Jesus, we want those people to know Him. And so we've got some dreams. We dream that there would be a thriving city group in every neighborhood, in every small town, within a 30-minute drive of where we sit. We actually dream and pray that that will happen. And so that means... We're just going to enter into a mess. It means there are new city groups meeting in new places with new people that are being led by new leaders in new homes. And all of that newness means there are new problems that make new messes for all of us to clean up. It's messy multiplying city groups and engaging with each other. But the harvest is worth the mess. And if multiplying city groups wasn't enough, We're trying to multiply churches too. Let me tell you this. We here are the newest City Light church plant, City Light Southwest Iowa. But that's only going to be true for two more weeks because two weeks from right now, City Light Kansas City will go live. Their launch Sunday is February 10th. So you will no longer be the newest City Light church plant. You got two weeks left to enjoy that, okay? Uh, So soak it in. But we're not going to stop at Kansas City. They're going live, and we're already dreaming about, God, where would you send us next? And so we're dreaming about metro areas like West Council Bluffs, the other side of town from where the current City Light Council Bluffs is. We're dreaming about uh, metro areas like Des Moines. What would it look like for God to plant a church in the fastest growing city in the Midwest? That's Des Moines believe it or not. And we want to plant a church there. We don't want to just do it in metro areas. We're wondering, man, God, what would it look like to plant churches in other small towns? We're praying into Essex and Carson, into Clarinda and Harlan. What would it look like if God kept planting churches because people like us are praying and sending and engaging in the mess? And then that's just us. That's just our little family in Council Bluffs and in Southwest Iowa, but the City Light family as a whole, we continue to dream too. There are people in Lincoln, a, a young man and his family right now, that are dreaming about planting a church in Fort Collins, Colorado. They're preparing already. There are three guys in uh, Omaha that are praying and planning and preparing to plant in Denver. Colorado, and we've got dreams for Topeka, Kansas, and for St. Louis, Missouri, and for the Quad Cities in Iowa, and for Minneapolis, Minnesota, and we just wonder, God, what would it look like to day by day stretch out, to send and plant? It's a mess, and we get to be part of it because God is on the move. Amen? We get to enter into something bigger than ourselves. You guys are abnormal, and we know a whole bunch of people who are abnormal that believe God is going to keep doing abnormal things. It's a mess, and the harvest is worth it. I don't even know what I'm talking about anymore. I got way lost. Um, okay, here's... <laughs> I'll get back on track. If I'm honest, there's a tension in my heart when I talk about all these things. Because on the one hand, I get so excited. We get to see God moving and answering prayers in ways I never dreamed he would do. We planted City Light Council Bluffs two and a half years ago. 
And already that little church has planted two churches and we're dreaming about more. And the churches that we are planting are already dreaming about planting. God is doing incredible things. It just excites my heart and makes me thirst to see what we're going to get to say five years from now. What has God done? And yet at the same time, if I can be honest with you, there's this other tension in my heart, this other pull in my heart. And God, this feels like a mess. I ask questions like this. Isn't church planting in small town, rural Emerson really different than planting in big city, Kansas City? Is, aren't both of those... Oh, I didn't even mention. <laughs> We're also dreaming about planting a church in Africa. Kigali, Rwanda. I get to go there in March and I hopefully get to meet some church planters there. And we're hoping in the next year we get a church started in Rwanda. And so then we think, man... Isn't planting a small town different than planting in a big city? And aren't both of those different than planting in a foreign culture? Do we even know what we're doing? Are we doing too much? Are we going too fast? Wouldn't it be cleaner if, what we, if we just stick to what we know? Wouldn't it be cleaner if we did only one thing at a time? Wouldn't it be cleaner if we just played it safe? Wouldn't it be cleaner if we just took a little less risk? Things would be cleaner if we just stopped making so many messes. And I feel that. And if you've ever felt something like that, man, why, why are they doing this? Why would City Light be interested in Emerson? Why would God move in places like Africa? If you've ever had those tensions, man, I just want you to know, I do too. I think sometimes we're just tempted to think that making a mess will mess things up. And that's when I need verses like Proverbs 14.4 that says, where there are no oxen, the manger is clean, but how does abundant crop come in? The strength of the ox. The ones who make the mess. The harvest comes by the strength of the messy, dirty, smelly ox. And so we want them in our barn. This, the church, was never supposed to be an empty barn. It's supposed to be filled with the harvest. And so I want to make a commitment to you today. At City Light, we will always choose an abundant harvest with a mess over a clean but empty church. Let me say that again. At City Light, this family, this abnormal group of people that you are part of this morning, we will always, every time, no questions asked, full steam ahead, Choose an abundant harvest with a mess over a clean but empty church. I think the Bible calls us to that, and I just think it's way more fun. <laughs> so we're going to go that way, and I want to encourage you guys in two ways this morning, okay? You guys. First encouragement is just, in the story of City Light Southwest Iowa, this body, it started as a mess. Can we just be honest about that? This has been our story from the beginning. Let me give you a brief snapshot. Around a year ago, the leadership team from First Baptist Church that uh, occupied this building, built it, loved it, cared for it for years, decades, before we arrived on the scene. The leadership team from First Baptist Church longed to see God moving in ways that they weren't seeing him move. And so they prayed and they planned, and they looked for partners that might be able to help them out. 
And so they called me, and they asked, what would it look like for City Light to come in and help us out? And so I prayed about that, and then I met with them, and I said something like, City Light is a church planting movement. We would love to see God move in Emerson and across southwest Iowa, but the way we would do that is by planting a church. And so if you guys want to invest your assets into that kind of a movement, man, we would love to run with you. And I, I just walked out of that meeting expecting a resounding no. <laughs> we won't do that. And I expected that because, listen, closing a church is messy, is it not? Closing a church means all kinds of relationships, all kinds of history, all kinds of um, just impact in the community. That all fades away. It's messy. And then starting a new church, that's messy too because it's new relationships and new questions and starting new activity in the community and building a new DNA into an old place. It's messy. And so I expected a resounding no, thanks, but no thanks. But that's not what happened. You guys are sitting here because that team didn't say no. The leaders voted and then the congregation voted and the answer was yes. And so you all now are part of that story. You're living out the reality that sometimes the harvest is worth the mess. You guys are here because they were willing to engage in that mess. You looked past the mess and joined the mission, living, breathing proof that the harvest is worth it. Uh, you guys aren't just living, breathing proof because you're sitting here. I want to say, man, good job at embracing the mess. Good job at stepping in, looking outside of the barn into the harvest field. Let me tell you one way, just as last week, I saw this family do that. Um, Jason posted a need on Facebook last week. He said, man, if we could get a volunteer team to clean up the church, then we could save some money and reinvest that money into the mission, into multiplying disciples and planting churches. So we just asked, would anybody be willing to step in and volunteer to help keep this place clean and looking good for free? Just give your time to do work that people don't want to do at home, but you're going to come to here. And he asked that. And within 24 hours, there were more than half a dozen people that said, I'm in. I'll do it. I'll serve. I'll vacuum. I'll clean the toilets. I don't know what's all on the list. Both of those probably are. You said, I'll do it. And that means that you guys are stepping into mission, saying, I'll give whatever I can give so that we can give whatever we can give to multiply more disciples and churches. I'll enter into the mess here so that we can see a greater harvest from out there. You guys don't just sit here. You actually engage in and embrace the mess. And I'm so grateful for that. It's part of our family identity. It's part of who we are here from the very beginning. And so guys, I just want to say thank you for embracing the mess. Um, my second encouragement this morning for you is... And would you keep on looking to the harvest? Would you keep on overlooking the mess in the barn, letting that just be a part of the deal, not a deal breaker? Just look past all that and set your eyes on the harvest field. Can we just do that together for a moment? 
Would you look outside of this building? Like, I know there's windows that you can't see out of. I'm talking like in your heart. Would you look outside this building? What harvest has God planted you in? Look for a name. Look for a face. And think about a person. What harvest awaits you outside these doors? Would you look past the mess and into the harvest field? Would you pray for those people? You got somebody in mind? Can we pray right now, just real quick? Lord Jesus, I don't know whose faces and whose names are on these hearts, but God, I know that you've said the harvest is plentiful and the laborers are few, and so you're going to send laborers into the harvest. That is us. And God, I pray that those names and faces on our hearts right now would not be names and faces outside of this family for long, but that you would draw the harvest in. God, would you, would you introduce yourself to people who don't yet know you and change their eternal trajectory because of it? From death to life, from darkness to light, Jesus, you still do that, and we trust you will do that even using people like us. God, for your glory, we pray it in Jesus' name, amen. City Light, the harvest is worth the mess. Would you keep your eyes off the mess in the barn? Set it on the harvest. Um, I want to end by saying Proverbs is practical wisdom for real life. It's practical wisdom for church life. And maybe I get most excited about Proverbs because it shows us the gospel. It shows us who Jesus is. Um, the good news of the gospel tells us that the harvest is worth the mess because we see it in Jesus' life. Uh, when Jesus talks about the harvest, he's talking about people like you and me. He's talking about people caught in the mess of sin with no way out on their own. And Jesus knew that bringing in a harvest like that would mean getting dirty. Jesus could have kept his feet clean by never walking on the dusty roads of men. He could have kept his reputation clean by never engaging with the sick and the poor and the outcast. He could have kept his hands clean by never hanging on the cross. But in the Bible, I never once see any inkling that Jesus was concerned about staying clean. Jesus left the paradise of heaven to enter into our mess. He was born a sweating, stinking, snotting person just like you and me. His body got dirty, walking on dirty roads, working dirty jobs, and hanging out with dirty people. That messed up his reputation too. You know, if Jesus walked the earth today, some judgy religious dude might snap an awkward picture of Jesus mid-bite on his swamp donkey uh, buck snort burger, got barbecue sauce dripping down his beard. He's sitting between a thief and a prostitute. Some judgy religious dude snaps a picture, tweets it, hashtag drunkard, hashtag glutton, hashtag friend of sinners. Those were all accusations that were actually made of Jesus in his day. And only one of the three was true. He wasn't a drunkard. He wasn't a glutton. But he was and still is and will always be a friend of sinners. Those were actual accusations. They, the one that was true then is still true now. Our world made Jesus' body and reputation a mess and he just kept going. Ultimately, Jesus went to the cross to take on your mess and mine. Our nails in his hands, our nails in his feet, our cries from his 
throat, our last breath from his lungs, Jesus died for your sin and for mine. Entered into our mess and made it his own. But the good news of the gospel is that that's not the end of the story. The mess isn't the end. The death isn't the end. The cross wasn't the end. Like a farmer with an ox in his barn, the manger is a mess all season long. But at the end of the season, there's a harvest. Jesus endured the cross because the harvest is worth it. Jesus died on that cross and then he rose to new life. He rose again to bring in a harvest. Jesus' death to life power secures a life after death promise that he makes to everyone who would believe in his name. Jesus entered the mess of our sins so that he could bring in an abundant harvest of men and women like us, people from Emerson and Malvern, people from Glenwood to Red Oak, people from Oakland to Shenandoah. Folks, the harvest is ripe. There are 40,000 people that live within a half-hour drive from where we sit. I talk about it all the time, but I talk about it all the time because it burns in my soul. All the time, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Oh, let's be sweaty, stinky, dirty oxen that, like Jesus, are willing to enter into their mess and invite them into ours so that they can know the love of Jesus now and forever. The good news of the gospel is that Christ himself did not and does not avoid our mess. He is the only one that can get us out of it one day. He's the only one that can bring in a harvest for eternity. And he's called you and I to be part of it. So if you've known that love of Jesus, let's spread that love of Jesus. It was never meant to stay in these walls. It was meant to go out into the fields where the harvest awaits the laborers who are willing to spread the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Ladies and gentlemen, Where there are no oxen, the manger is clean, but abundant harvest comes by the strength of the ox. Amen? Let's pray. Great and awesome God, and I thank you for just practical wisdom in Proverbs, that the harvest is worth the mess. Our our lives were never just meant to be spotless and clean. Our lives are meant to bring in a harvest. Your mission was never to come to earth and stay spotless and clean. You were a friend of sinners. You ate with the drunkards and the prostitutes and the thieves. You hung on a cross between two of them. Jesus, you entered into our mess. Now you've sent your spirit to empower us to do the same kind of thing. But God, today, I just, I got to believe that there's somebody in this room who feels like their life is a mess. And the message of this sermon is not meant to land on those hearts and say, you need to go clean up that mess on your own. The good news of the gospel is that if you feel like your life is a mess, Jesus himself does not cast you aside. He doesn't reject you. He doesn't say, clean it up before you come to me. He says, oh, I want to enter your mess with you. I came to give you the life that you're looking for that you can't find on your own. Jesus came to save the lost for the people who are looking. And if that's you, I ask you this morning, would you turn to Jesus? Would you give your mess to him? He's gotten messy before. He'll do it again. Harvest is worth it to him. It's why he came. I 
that's you, you just pray right now. Jesus, my life is a mess. I've tried to clean it up and I can't do it. I need you. I need somebody who will enter in with me and not reject me. Jesus, if that's you, I want you to give my life to you this morning. If you can pray that prayer, if you just did pray that prayer, no, he'll enter in. I know he'll walk with you now until one day when he returns in all of the men. God, for the rest of us who found you and found you to be the one who walks through our messes, and God, I pray that you would not let us be satisfied one more moment knowing there are 40,000 people right here in our neighborhood across Southwest Iowa, most of them not knowing you. Four out of five of them saying, I will not enter a church any day this year. And God, you make us laborers. Go out into the mess of the world and invite them into ours so that we might have a Savior who will walk with us. We thank you for doing that for us. Thank you for not just setting the example, but empowering us by your Spirit to live like you, with you, even today. Would you get the glory now and forever?